So, but if you have a Bible, we're going to open up and you can start at um, Hebrews chapter 6. We're going to start at Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1, and we're going to read the whole thing. And, and uh, I'm going to go kind of fast so that you can get an overview of chapter 6 and chapter 7. And then we're going to pause and come back and sort of explain a lot of that. Um, six, uh, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1 says, Therefore... Leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, or of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of the resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this we will do, if God permits, for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, that if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. We're going to We'll discuss that here in a second. Uh, verse 7 says, For the earth, which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs useful for those uh, by whom it is cultivated, receives blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and briars, it, it is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. But beloved, I love this verse, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love which you have shown toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you may not become sluggish. That word sluggish is the same word from last week, the word dull. It's really the exact same word. Um, which comes from the root word, which means to begin to hear like a slave. So to think like a slave. We don't want you to become like a slave. Um, we don't want you to become like a slave, but we want you to imitate those who through faith and patience inherited the promises. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. He said, surely blessing, I will bless you and multiplying, I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured and obtained the promise, uh, he obtained the promise. For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath is a confirmation uh, to end all dispute. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, that's the unchangeableness of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation, who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope that has been set before us. This hope we have, as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, for those of you that were here last week, you will remember that toward the end of chapter 4, the writer of Hebrews started off on this high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek, and then he got interrupted. Well, now, he's obviously, he's coming back. He's coming back to this Melchizedek character, and this starts chapter 7. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth of all that he had, first being translated, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness, then also he's called the king of Salem, meaning king of peace. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but is made like the Son of God, who remains a priest continually. 
Now consider how great this man was, this, 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 this man called Melchizedek, to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of his spoils. And indeed, those who are of the sons of Levi who receive the priesthood have a commandment to receive tithes from people according to the law that is from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. I promise we're not going to talk a whole lot about loins today. But somebody said, oh, man, <laughs> oh, we can go there if you like. I don't know. In the Jewish mindset, this, this is what, what he's talking about. He's talking about how the priest gave tithe, get, received tithes from the people. But uh, basically, in a way, Abraham is above all of the priests because he gave birth. You know, he, he was the father of all these priests, and he actually gave, gave, gave a tithe to Melchizedek. Verse 6 says, but, those, but he whose genealogy is not derived from them, that's Melchizedek, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. Now, beyond all contradiction, the lesser is always blessed by the better. The better, the better. That's the key word right there. Here, mortal men receive tithes, but there, back, back in that day, he received them, of whom it is witness that he lives. Even Levi, who received tithes, paid tithes, technically, through Abraham, so to speak. For he was still in the loins. There we go. Okay, we'll talk about it. He was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Therefore... If perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should arise to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron or the Levitical priest? For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there also must be a change of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no man has ever officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning the priesthood. And it is yet far more evident if in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises another priest who has come not according to the law of the fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. For he testifies, you, speaking of Jesus, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. For the law made nothing perfect. You notice my voice is getting louder because it's, it's crescendoing here in the chapter. The law made nothing. You got, you got to get that through your head. The law makes nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better, a better hope through which we draw near to God. And inasmuch as he was not made priest without an oath, for they have become priests without an oath, but he was made with an oath because God said, I, I will not relent. I have sworn you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. By so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. And also, there were many priests because they were prevented from death from continuing, but he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save to the uttermost those who have come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and became higher than the heavens, who does not need daily, as those other high priests, to offer up sacrifice first for his own sins, then for the sin of the peoples. But for this he did once, and once and for all, when he offered himself. 28 says, For the law appoints as high priest men who have weaknesses, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints the Son who has been perfected forever. 
Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the depth of, of this letter. We thank you for the book of Hebrews, and it's been passed down for thousands of 2,000 years now, and we're reading it today. Thank you that your word is still alive and well and still applicable to us. Lord, I pray that you would open up your word to us. Help us to see Jesus today through your word. It's your name we pray. Amen. Um, I'm on a title today's message, Jesus is a Better Priest. And really, this is... Um, the center of the book of Hebrews. It's not only literally the center of the book, but it's also, um, in terms of the writing style of the book of Hebrews, this is the main point. This is what it's all about. Basically, chapter six, uh, basically, chapter seven and eight is really the, the, the center, the, 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 the meat, the primary, the top of the mountain. Everything in the previous chapters and verses has been leading up to this point, and everything after this is going to kind of descend from this point. And um, so this is, it's so imperative that you, that, that you get this, that Jesus is a better priest. And for those of you that are just coming on board with us, um, we started this sermon series titling it, Jesus is Better, because that's really the theme of the book of Hebrews, because the book of Hebrews was written to uh, Hebrews, uh, Jews that had come out of Judaism, had embraced Jesus. And in the midst of that, they had found themselves beginning to waver in their faith because uh, they still had all their Jewish friends and they were mocking them. You know, you've really missed the boat here by, by, by putting your faith in Jesus. Man, you're, 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 you're departing from, from years and years of, of proven Judaism history. And, and, and what the book of Hebrews has written, uh, the purpose of it, is in order to convince and further persuade the Christians to rely on Jesus. And you might say, well, I haven't really been in Judaism, so I don't really have that issue in my life. The truth is we all have things that are trying to pull us away from faith in Jesus. Um, some good things, some bad things. We all got stuff that's trying to distract us and, and get us to rely on something else other than Jesus. And the bottom line of this whole sermon series is Jesus is better than any of that other stuff. Whatever you're facing, whatever you're tempted with, whatever you typically lean on, Jesus is better. And um, we've been talking about the fact Jesus is uh, better than angels. That was the first week. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than milk. We talked about that last week. That Jesus is um, what, it, what, 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 what we often measure maturity by is by how much of a Christian you look. And so the, when you learn to look more like a Christian, that's how mature you are. And that's really not true. Maturity is not gained by looking like a Christian. Maturity is gained by leaning on Jesus, trusting in Jesus. So the question is, do I trust Jesus more this week than I did last week? And I don't know about you, but my answer is, yeah, y'all, because uh, it's been quite a crazy week. Um, I, uh, I'm wearing these clothes because this is about all I have dry right now in my life. Um, this past week, man, um, well, Friday was, was crazy. We woke up, um, I woke up at 8.45 a.m., Friday's my sleep-in day. Friday's my day off. It's a family fun day, typically. And um, it started to rain a little bit, about 8, I think, 7-something. Seven, seven and so Roe had gotten up to go check on the horses. Um, and we live just down the road here, about 10 minutes away. We live kind of down on the bottom of a hill, and there we have a pond right out our back doors. And... Um, so Roe, it was raining, so Roe went to chip, make sure the horses were okay. We have nine horses on our property because I'm a farmer. And uh, <laughs> you wouldn't know it to look at me, but I love being outdoors. Um, <laughs> my wife loves being outdoors. That's why we have horses and a cat and a dog. And if it were 
anyway, if it were up to me, we would not have that. But um, so we live on the 14 acres, and um, so I'm sleeping. The kids are in the room watching a movie, and 8:45, my phone goes off because we have a tornado warning. Uh, anybody else get that little alert and they're ring, ring, ring? Well, that woke me up. For some of you, you're like, oh, yeah, I already knew that. But me, that was like, oh, my goodness, I need to get some pants on and figure out what's going on. So I threw some pants on. I went and found the kids. They were in their room. And I said, guys, we got like, well, to get in the bathroom. It's probably, probably the safest place. Because the warning means the tornado has been spotted. And so we said, you know, we got we to get in the bathroom. And over, over uh, Friday, there were several tornadoes spotted throughout Wimberley, um, San Marcos, uh, various areas. Areas. And so we're, I'm getting the kids in the bathroom. They, they got their pets, one cat and one dog. And um, I grabbed my laptop because <laughs> that's my baby. That's, that's, that's my third child. Um, so we got all the kids in there. No, really, my laptop is very important. It's very, it's, it's right down, it's sitting right next to my wife right now. Um, She's watching it, and um, it's, it's very, very much, has, has all the design stuff for City Chapel, all of our bylaws, all of our, all of our um, uh, everything, and then her computer has all of our giving records for the whole church, that's all in her laptop, and so, you know, there's some stuff that's really irreplaceable, and all of our pictures and family stuff and all that kind of thing, so all this digital, it's all in my laptop bag, so I make sure I have that, and we're in the bathroom, and, and the kids want a blanket, so I go out to the bedrooms to get a blanket, and I notice there's some water on on the floor, and I'm like, well, that's kind of odd, um, and so I go in our bedroom, and we're both we're both parallel, and, and there's a lot of water just pouring in, and so I look out the window, and our floor is level with the pond, and it's raining, you know, coming down like cats and dogs, and um, and it's just, it's level with the pond, I'm like, uh, we have a change of plans, kids, we're not going in the bathroom, we're getting out of here, and so I started chucking some stuff up on the bed, um, I saved my shoes, I think. Rose's shoes were already, it was too late for her shoes. They were on the floor. We already we put our shoes on the floor. Anyway, so I just quick threw stuff on the bed and like my iPad and then I grabbed my laptop bag and, and got a trash bag because we helped a lot of um, uh, uh, flood victims in New Orleans. So, I, so I'm, a, I'm a pro at this. So I got my trash bag, stuffed it in there, tied it up and um, started carrying kids out. So I got one kid on my back and one kid in my arms and she's got the cat and it's like scratching me in the back of the head. And, and it was raining so hard and we're like wading through all this water. By the time I turned around, I dropped them off, threw them in the car and I ran back to get my bag and it already come up about two feet in our house and it started to roll over onto our, in, like into our living room area and kitchen area. And I was like, um, Lord, just, uh, do what you can do, and uh, <laughs> just say a quick prayer, and we get we get out of there. So we drive up to the barn, rows up there. I said, "Babe, the house is like really underwater, and we have to find a, a good." safe place for this tornado. And so anyway, we started driving out and we just got it re recently had a new culvert installed. And so there was a bunch of water going over the culvert and stuff. And um, obviously there's a lot of rain. And so I figured, well, it's just too much for the culvert to handle. I didn't know it had washed away most of the culvert. And so my car just goes right down in the end of it. And I'm like, oh, we're backing up, backing up. It's front wheel drive. And so I'm able to get out. Well, then uh, I guess it busted like the U-joint. So whenever I hit the gas, it just makes a crunching sound. The wheels don't turn. So I don't know much about cars, but that's not good. And so I'm like, kids, change the plans. We're getting in mom's car. And so then we, I mean, just, the day was just getting better and better. And so, you know, we try to leave and we're on like the top of a hill. And so on this side of the road, it's flooded. On that side of the road, it's flooded. So we have to go back to the barn. And so we were huddled down in the barn. And I think I, I, think I actually put a couple of pictures uh, that we took and put on Facebook there. Um, for some of you that are following us on Facebook, we just decided to share that precious moment with you all. And so they're like wrapped up in blankets and 
I'm allergic to, to nature, so I didn't use the blankets. <laughs> Because horses have been around them. So, I would, so I, that's why there's no pictures of me, because I'm half naked. Because I, I wasn't dressed. I just put pants on, you know. And so, yeah, so we're huddled up in the barn. And uh, we called 911. They're like, we can't come get you. And so we're like, well, great. We're on the highest point. You know, a tornado's coming. And we're on the highest point of the land that we can find. And so we're like, guys, we just have to pray. We just have to huddle down and pray. And um, so that's what's kind of been on my mind the past few days. Um, and so just, just sitting there, it, it was a great opportunity for us to learn how to trust Jesus. It's a great opportunity for us to help our kids because Madden's crying a lot. You know, she's, she understands it's dangerous. Micah, his eyes, his eyes were just huge. He was just sitting there shivering. His eyes were just massive. And, um, you know, like they were, it was, it, was, it was tough. And Madden's asking real questions like, you know, well, what if a tornado comes? Are we going to die? Um, you know, lots of stuff like that. And we don't want to ever... Um, we don't ever want to lie to our kids. <laughs> That's something we're trying not to do. We're trying to be honest and promote honesty. And so Ro and I are like, well, honey, you know, if a tornado comes, we're in trouble up here. Okay, we're going to hide in the barn. We're going to hope things work out. But, you know, if a tornado comes, we might just listen for a train sound. And, you know, we'll I'll go hide in that corner, I guess. I mean, we don't have anything else to do. And, you know, really, we don't know that we're going to be okay. We don't know that things are going to work out. You know, we really, we really don't. Because so far, the day's been going pretty bad. You know, things are out of our control. Things bigger than us are, are moving, and we can't do anything about it. All we can do is pray and trust God. And so we, we gathered and just said, God, we're your servants. And if we live, we're going to serve you. And if you want us to die today, then we'll get to go to heaven with you, which would be pretty awesome. Um, but we'd like to keep living to keep serving you. But it's up to you. You know, it's just, you're, the, you're the boss. We're the employees this is your shop, you know. The, the house down there is yours. All our stuff in there, it's not really ours. If you want us to have it, to protect it somehow. But whatever you don't think we need, just go ahead and just take it. Because we don't, you know, we don't, we don't have any, we don't own it. He owns it. And that's what it means to trust God. That's what it means to really trust. It means to lean on him. Not lean on, okay, I got to save my stuff. <laughs> not lean on, okay, I, I got to save my family. But lean on him. And be like, yeah, I might be the dad here, but I can't do anything at this moment. I have to lean on him. He is my provider. He is my protector. He is, he's everything. And that's what it means to lean on him. And so, yes, Friday was crazy for us. Many of you have seen that. And, and we've been so encouraged by the outpouring just of love from you all. Uh, people slipping us money. Um, people offering to come help. Uh, throw stuff in a dumpster. Um, it's awesome. Uh, we don't have any insurance, so we're trying to figure out exactly what we're going to do. Um, fix a car and, and replace a house, but people have been so generous. People took a bunch of our clothes to go wash them, and um, so if you have my underwear, bring it back, please. Because <laughs> I'm on my last pair, if you know what I mean. I told you we'd get there. I told you we'd get talking. There we go. But that's what it means to trust God. And it's, it's just stupid. It's pointless to just talk about it, just preach about it. God's going to let you live it. And, um, and it's such a joy. It's such a joy to live it. I'm so glad. If I'm, if I'm, if I'm going to be trapped in the barn wondering if a tornado is coming, I need to know that I'm going to heaven. I need to know, I need to know that my heart is right with God. And in that moment, that's all that matters. 
That's all that we, we had our family and we, we knew that we were right with God. And so I want to encourage you guys to get to that place. To, maybe, you, maybe you say, I would be freaking out. I would be so depressed. Maybe, maybe that is the case, but you can trust in God. You can have peace. You can say the waves and winds still know his name. You can say it is well with my soul when stuff is not well with your body. It can be well with your soul. Sickness, health, doesn't matter. It can be well with your soul. So that's my sermon there. Goodbye. You guys are all blessed. Love you. See you. Um, yeah, so that kind of has, has interrupted my, my, my sermon prep for today. So I just want to go through, we might only make it through chapter six, but um, it's, it's so powerful to me because this is, this is really still the interruption. So uh, the writer of Hebrews is still interrupting himself. Remember, he started off this, this, this Melchizedek, this better priest thing. He started off with that in chapter four, and then he stopped and he said, you know what? You guys can't really hear what I'm telling you because you're hearing through the ears of a slave. You're not hearing through the ears of a son. And so we talked about that last week. We have to start hearing the gospel through the ears of a son. We have to believe that God does, in fact, love us, that God does, in fact, accept us, that he does desire us to be in the house, that that's where we belong. And that's where the gospel starts to make sense. And so we have to hear through that way. And he continues this interruption. He says, therefore, leaving the discussion. If we can bring up that scripture at the beginning of chapter six, he says, therefore, we're leaving the discussion of the elementary principles, the basics, the ABCs of Christianity. We're leaving the discussion of elementary. That means like the the, the foundational fundamental. We're, we're, we're going we're to walk away from some of that for, for right now. We're not going to talk about that with you right now. And he, he lists all of those fundamental things. And he says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go on to perfection. The heart of the Holy Spirit in writing this letter to us and as well to these early Christians is not that they would know that Jesus is better so that they could argue about how better Jesus is. Right? It's not like Jesus is better, so go argue with all your Jewish friends and tell them, ha ha, Jesus is so much better. Go argue with all, 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 your, is, all your Islam friends, ha ha, Jesus is so much better than, than them. Jesus is so much better than Buddha. Jesus, so that you can feel like, hey, I got the better religion here, right? I mean, that's not why God wants you to know that Jesus is better. The reason why God wants you to know that Jesus is better is so that you can go on to perfection. So that you can move from the elementary things onto a place of perfection. You say, how in the world could I ever be perfect? Well, perfect means complete. Another way to say that is wholeness. God wants you to be complete and whole. He wants, he wants you to receive everything that he has planned for you. He wants you to know every, every bit of joy that he has stored up for you. He wants you to receive every blessing he has for you. He wants you to walk in everything that he paid for you on the cross. He wants you to know real victory. He wants you to know real peace in the midst of a storm. He wants you to experience these things. And that's what perfection is. That's a wholeness. That's completeness. He says, I want you to move away from these elementary things, things like, you know, like, like you know, is, is, is the skirt too high or is it too short or is the blouse too low cut or is the hair a funky, an unnatural color? Uh, you know, do you have facial hair? And because that's not an important thing, right? This is just what happens. And so, you know, like there's, there's, there's some things that we as Christians get caught up on. And they're just elementary things. And we've got to leave that stuff to really talk about perfection. Perfection is not listening to the right music, watching the right movies. Perfection is wholeness. It's completeness. It's everything that God wants you to be. It's being that. And so right here, he says, we're going to leave that. We're going to go on to perfection. And then he talks about this, 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 this warning 
where he says that it's impossible for those who have tasted uh, of God to, if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance. And there's a lot of argument about what that means. And some people say, well, once you're saved, you're always saved. And other people say, well, you can lose your salvation. And um, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on that because it seems pretty self-explanatory to me in this passage as well as others that you, it is possible to stop trusting in Jesus. It is possible to go back to where you came from. You can always revert. You can always uh, put your trust back in yourself, back in a religion, back in a formula or a, or, or, or a system or a set of rules. You can always leave Jesus. Uh, you can always walk away from him. You have free will. You have free choice. You can do that if you want, but, but it's not going to be good for you, basically, is what the scripture is saying. He's saying, look, it's not, it's not going to be good because you're, you're producing bad fruit. And, and the trees that produce bear bad fruit, they get rejected, and eventually they get burned. Verse 9 says, But beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. And I would just say that here at City Chapel, I'm confident of better things concerning you. Things pertaining to salvation. I'm confident of better things. I'm confident that you all are not going to fall away from God. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to say that you're going you're gonna to move on to perfection. At whatever level you're at, I believe, and I just speak this over you, that you're going to take the next step. And you're going to take the next step after that. And you're going to take the next step after that. And you're going to be led by God. I believe that God has a plan for your life. He has a plan for your family. You're not here by accident. And I just... I just confess I'm confident of better things concerning you. We're going to have First Wednesday worship this coming Wednesday, and uh, we're going to be discussing. It's like a state of the union kind of, but state of the church kind of thing for us. Um, we just got done taking a survey, um, which is, has been taken by over 70,000 churches. And I'll just share a sneak peek of this with you all, because I'm super stoked about this survey. It's a, it's a quality survey. So we're looking for how how, like, what's the quality of City Chapel, not the quantity, but quality. How healthy are we? It's kind of like going to the doctor and getting your, getting your doctor's report. So we, so we polled 30 of you all, 30 adults. Um, and so if you look at the size of this room, 30 adults is a huge sample size. And we ask you like a whole bunch of questions. And uh, this is done through, through another agency. And, then, and then, then, then they came back their results. And what they found was that we are very healthy at City Chapel. Um, not only very healthy. Yeah. But they, they based us on eight different principles. We're going to talk about this Wednesday night. But in each of the eight principles, we scored, and this doesn't mean anything to you, but we scored 65 or higher. And only about 15% of the churches in the U.S. score 65 or higher in, 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 in each principle. And so I don't know if that means we're going to lose our world's okay status. I don't, I, don't, I don't know if they can. I'm keeping the mugs, though, you know, because those are funny. But... Uh, but, but as far as like, we, 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 you know, we joke about that, but really I'm confident of better things concerning you. I'm confident that God's doing something in your life and in our, and in our church that is not common, that is not normal, that is not mundane every day, or else maybe the devil wouldn't be trying to flood us out. I don't know. I'm confident of better things concerning you. Right now, today, actually, there's a, there's, there's a guy, uh, Ryan, he's, he's talking to the kids, the elementary kids, because the kids are supporting this little boy in Somalia. And so he has a mission over in Somalia. And so all of your kids right now are bringing a dollar a week and that's that's sponsoring a boy in Somalia. I'm confident. That's awesome. Elementary kids are helping a kid their age in another. I'm confident of better things concerning you. In the past nine months, we've had seen over 160 people make decisions to follow Jesus. I am confident 
of better things. We had over 300 kids last night. I mean, that's like God is doing something here. And that's not to bring any glory to any person or program or anything. I am confident of God's power in and among us. And that's what he says. He says, Abraham put his faith in God. And what he found was that God said this to him. God said, as surely as I am a blesser, I'm going to bless you. As surely as I am a multiplier, I'm going to multiply you. So what are you saying? Well, as it, God basically based his promise on himself. He said, just as surely as I'm a multiplier, that's how sure it is I'm going to multiply you. And sometimes we get a wrong idea about God and we see him as a subtractor, right? God, God's going to take stuff out of my life. He said, he's, God's not a subtractor. He's a multiplier. All right. So, so I, you know, I don't, I don't, I, I, and the church, the state of the church in the U.S. and the state of the church, honestly, in Austin, is not good. Churches are subtracting. Uh, my first meeting that I came to when I was wanting to plant a church in Austin was a meeting with other church planters. And the discussion topic was, why do so many church plants in Austin fail? <laughs> Yay, let's do that. I'm like, is this supposed to encourage me? What are you talking about? They're like, man, we've had over 30 churches planted in South Austin in like the past five years. And you look around and they're not really, there's a few around, but there's not a lot. Why? Because Austin is just plain difficult to plant a church. It's just people people aren't that interested in oftentimes. We were talking to somebody from Wisconsin and telling them about how what God's doing. He's like, well, it must be nice to be in Texas. I'm like, no, no, you, no, no we're not in Texas. We're in Austin. It's not like... <laughs> I guess you don't know. That's not, this is the Republic of Austin, okay? That's where we are. It's like 80% of churches are under 80 people in Austin. There's like 1.9 million people in Austin and there's only, uh, there's, there's, there's only 600,000 people in church. It's, it's, it's like, this is not common. This is not normal. I'm confident of better things, not because of us, but because as surely as God is a multiplier, he is going to multiply. As surely as God is a blesser, he is going to bless. I'm telling you, God's determined. This is the betterness of God's covenant. When you look at Melchizedek, and I'm, I'm just going to touch on, I'm just going to touch on Melchizedek for just a second. And then next week, we're going to continue talking about Melchizedek. I didn't do mysterious male justice today. Um, but but if we, if, we, if, we, if we just go real quick to the, the passage in Genesis, we see the actual uh, Mel, Melchizedek and he, he encounters Abraham. And this is what happens. The king, Melchizedek, which means king of righteousness, he is also the king of Salem, the king of peace. And that's Jesus, by the way. Jesus married righteousness and peace. He brought together rightness with God and peace in your life. Because so often, whenever you try to get righteousness on your own, it's not peaceful. And you're constantly trying to live up to a standard and it's just not working. What Jesus did is he made righteousness and peace come together. He's the king of righteousness and peace. And so he comes out bringing bread and wine, righteousness and peace. Jesus, of course, sat down with his disciples and he gave them bread and wine. He said, this is my body. This is my blood. Anyway, Melchizedek comes out with bread and wine. And this is what he says. Blessed be Abraham of God most high. God is the possessor of heaven and earth and blessed be God most high who has delivered all of your enemies into your hand. The difference between the, one of the main differences between the, the, the Melchizedek covenant and, and the, 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 the Aaron line, the, the other line of, of priests is that all the other priests, whenever they encountered you, 
they came with a to-do list. They came with a, with a curse, really. That if you don't live up to this, if you don't have the right sacrifice, if you don't have the right uh, turtle doves and stuff, if you don't have the right stuff, then, then, then you're cursed. But what Melchizedek came, he, his first words out of his mouth is blessed. <laughs> as surely as God is a blesser, I'm telling you, he's going to bless you. And that's the first word that I think God speaks to us. And even in the midst of our flooding and everything that we've lost, we look around and we say, wow, we are blessed. We're blessed. We're blessed because, well, I got my laptop. So <laughs> we're blessed because I got my two other kids as well. <laughs> uh, we're blessed because we got our cat and our dog. We're blessed because all of our horses are safe. We're blessed because our pole barn is still there. We're blessed because the property is still there. We're blessed because our church family has come around us and, and just offered to help and offered to, to, to sow into us and come and just, and just love on us. We're blessed. It's a, it's, it's, a, it's a blessed place. We're blessed because we have a place to sleep tonight. <laughs> We're sleeping at Noah's house in downtown Buda. We're blessed because, because we, got, we got folks who showed up early to help us set up church. We're blessed because God's doing something in, in response to our obedience here at this place. We're blessed because people are giving their lives to God and people are choosing to follow him. We're blessed because God still wants to use us. And so the sun came up again and we got to live another day. We're blessed. And that's what God does. That's what Jesus does. He comes in with blessing not with cursing. So oftentimes we, I think we live as if we're not sure. We're not sure if we're blessed. I don't know if I'm blessed or not. And uh, we live under that anxiety of just wondering what our father thinks of us and what our, what our priest thinks of us, what our high priest thinks of us. And we, and, it, it, and it's, it's the danger to put our trust in people and to look to people, to look to a, a more physical representation, kind of like the Jews were doing. They had their, their priests, they had the Levites, they had those guys, and they could see them, they could go talk to them, they could confess all their sins to them. They could tell them everything, and they had this literal person, and so often you hold on to a literal person, but the literal person will always let you down. The literal person will always make mistakes. They'll always fail you. Me and Ro will offend you at some point. Probably not Ro because she's really nice, but I will definitely say something or not say something or like I can't, I can't control my face when you say something. So that's what will usually happen, okay? It just happens, all right? You're going to get it. Like I said, I'm going to let you down. Come on, somebody. I'm going to let you down. Yeah. As I'll just tell you right up front, the world's okayest church has the world's okayest pastor, okay? That's all it is. I'm just in the middle, okay? I'm hit and miss. But, I, I, you know, you're going to get let down by people. So you got to put your trust in Jesus. Because Jesus is the only one that will always say blessed. Regardless of what you've been doing, regardless of what you're doing right now, he's the one who will always come with this word for you. He'll always come with the bread and the wine, with those, his body and his blood. His sacrifice comes before your sin. His sacrifice is greater than your sin. He's always looking at you from a point of how can I bless my kid? How can I bless my children? People aren't always looking at you that way. People aren't always, sometimes we're busy and distracted and sometimes we fail. And, 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 and that's why it's important that you have this new priest. You have this Jesus priest. Because when he comes into your life, he says that you're blessed. And not only that, but he gives you power. He gives you power to do stuff I can't give you power to do. So like I've had people come up and just, they feel like they have to confess stuff to me and tell me stuff. And I'm like, I really didn't need to know that, but okay. 
Um, you know, I'm like, well, that's uh, that's that's uh, that's between you. You know, I don't, I can't help you. I can pray for you, pray with you, keep you accountable, walk with you, but I can't give you power. Jesus is the only one who can bring the bread and the wine into your life and give you power to live differently. Because this is what was happening with the Jews. They would, they would come to the priest and they would sacrifice and they would cover their sin. Then they'd go back and then they would get back into sin Monday through Friday. Then they'd come back on, 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 on Sabbath and they, 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 they cover their sin and they'd be okay with God again. And then they'd go back into sin. And there's this constant, almost like an ocean, in and out, in and out. It's like, like the waves come in and then they go out. And they would, I'm holy and then I'm not so holy. And then I'm holy and then I'm holy. And it's this constant back and forth religion. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying, look, look, the order of Melchizedek is an everlasting order. It's an eternal order. It doesn't change. It doesn't shift, which means that he now has the power to save you to the uttermost. He has the power to do something in your life that no human priest or human pastor can do. He can give you power to walk in victory to walk over stuff that you were getting bowled under by. He can give you power to not go back and forth, to not bounce around, to reach full maturity where you're completely trusting and leaning on him. And the stuff that used to tempt you and draw you away, you just, you don't, you're not even tempted by it anymore because it's not as good as leaning on Jesus. It's not going to give you peace. It's that you, you know where it's going to go. It's going to lead right down the road of death that you've always gone. And so you have the power now to lean on Jesus because not only are you leaning, but he's kind of holding on to you. And, and you, you're, you're resting on him. The stuff that used to pull you away, it doesn't pull you away anymore because he is an eternal priesthood. He's not here. Because the problem with the old priesthood is, number one, they kept changing because people would die off. But number two, the priests themselves were sinful. The priests themselves were up and down. So the priest had to offer sacrifice for himself first. Whereas Jesus is perfect. And the source of your faith will always be the ceiling of your perfection. (laughs) The source of your faith will always be the ceiling of your perfection. And so when you put your faith in people, as perfect as they are, that's your ceiling. That's how perfect you're going to get. That's how whole you're going to get. That's how full you're going to get. But if you put your faith in Jesus, he's totally perfect. And so he can save you to the uttermost. He can make you fully perfect. (laughs) And so if you'd like that today, I just want to give you an opportunity to just take two minutes right now and, and let you begin this relationship. And it's not like suddenly something happens that you revert and become some super spiritual person, but you simply make a decision that you're going to put your faith and your trust in Jesus. And this is the beginning because tomorrow you're going to be tested and you're going to have to decide again to put your faith and trust in Jesus. And a flood might come through your house. You're going to have to decide again to put your trust in Jesus, but you got to start somewhere. So I just want to offer a start for you. If you want to begin that journey today, we're just going to bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment. 